Amen. So I'll I'll kind of jump back and forth here, doing a brief kind of touching on last week's. But let's jump into James chapter five, verse seven. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So real quick, who is James talking to now? Brothers, brethren. He's talking to the church. We know this because he inserts the word brethren. We, we talked about last week that there was a script, a, a chunk of scripture where he was not addressing the brothers. As a matter of fact, he referred to them as you rich people. And in these previous verses, he, he says, now you rich people, and he addresses them. So now in verse 7, he's coming back saying, brothers. So he, he's kind of re, reconnecting the dialogue. In the topic that he was talking about with the you rich people last week, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting part of Scripture. Because he speaks to them with no encouragement, with no hope, but but he is speaking to them. He knows that somehow that these people that are not being referred to as brothers, as not being referred to as people connected with the church, are going to read this letter. They're going to see this letter. They're going to hear that he addresses them. So as James is talking about him, we realize he's addressing people, rich people, that are close enough, near enough to the church to somehow be connected, but far enough away that they haven't given their all to the king. They're still withholding a a portion of their lives for themselves. And the biggest part of that portion that they're withholding was their finances. And the finances dictated their actions, whether their actions actually led to the persecution of the church by them not being bold and standing up. So he addresses them, you rich people. And now in verse 7, he comes back and says, therefore be patient, brethren. So he's letting them know, okay, I'm talking to you again, church. It's funny when we read this, and we read with the boldness. Did this group of people that just kind of hung out with the church, but refused to commit to the Lord, did they really think that they were beyond the reach of James's accountability? Whoops! Do they not know James at all? I mean, I think it's hilarious that he throws out the PC mannerisms of, well, I'll address you later. He's like, no, I'm calling you out. Commit. Give your lives to Christ. Jump in here. You're hanging out. Give him your all. Nobody is beyond accountability from two people. Clearly, James is number one. And obviously, number two is Chuck Norris. Fear of spiders is called arachnophobia. Fear of close quarters is called claustrophobia. Fear of Chuck Norris is called logic. All right, Holy Spirit, here we go. That's right. So James now reengages the church. Brothers. Brothers and sisters. So let's pick back up there in verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren against one another, 
so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. James is encouraging the church with three items of action. And as is true to the writing of James, he's redundant. He repeats himself. We're going to talk for a little bit about being patient. And he says, be patient. Wait. Be patient. So what are the three things that James is encouraging them to do? What are the three actions listed? Number one, be patient. Number two, strengthen your hearts. Be courageous. Take courage. Number three, do not complain and grumble against who? Against one another. Against the church. Against brothers. There's division there. At least the the threat of it. I'm pretty sure we won't cover uh, all these actions tonight. um, But I'm also fairly confident that we will cover the first two. So number one, be patient. Be patient. That word patient is an amazing word. I want to read the definition to you. It's the Greek word makrothrumeo. And here's how it's defined. To be of a long spirit, not to lose heart. To persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. This isn't Webster's Dictionary's definition of this. This is what's coming from the Bible. The third attribute, to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. Are we patient in bearing injuries that are inflicted on us from others? Or do we immediately want revenge? Do we immediately want restitution? Do we immediately want defense of some sort? Be patient. Then the final one, to be long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to punish. Using this definition, using it as our guideline, are we patient with others? Are we patient with ourselves? I find a lot of people that have patience for others and no tolerance for themselves. They have grace for others and no grace for themselves. Are we patient with ourselves? How about this? Are we patient with God? Or do we we immediately throw out the you've let me down and failed me card as soon as he's not fast enough for our liking? Uh Uh-oh. Are we patient with God? Are we patient with ourselves? Are we patient with others? A friend of mine... His name is Kevin Booth. He pastors a church in Norco, California. I heard him say something that impacted my life, and I've said it several times. And I'm going to say it again. He asked the question, you want your lives to be fruitful? Do you want your lives to be fruitful, to bear fruit? If you want your lives to be fruitful, then be faithful. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, you're faithful. And then 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 you're faithful. 
And then you're faithful. And then you're faithful. And one day, you're faithful. And then you're faithful. And then you're faithful. And then you're faithful. And then you're fruitful. There is no fruitfulness without faithfulness. There is no fruitfulness without faithfulness. And our job is to wake up in the morning and be faithful. To be faithful. To be faithful. We all want to be fruitful. We all want our lives to bear fruit. But He is the one that brings the harvest, not us. Our job is to be faithful. And to be faithful. To be faithful. Some of you in this room weren't even patient enough for me to get to fruitful. Eleven people left while I was doing faithful and faithful and faithful. So how do we in the world expect to be patient for the harvest? When we can't even be patient after like 17 uses of the word faithful. We're to be patient. Be patient. Lord, I want to be patient. So give me patience now. That's normally our reply. We want it and we want it now. This is a microwave society that we live in. Everything is quickly available. Instant gratification. You know what I mean? Our kids have no point of reference of dial-up. It was brutal. Young people, dial-up was brutal. Google it. It was awful. It made noises. It made The internet made noises while you were waiting to load a page. And you prayed that page didn't have a big picture. Right? I think it's Jerry Rice, but I know, oh no, it's Mike. No, it's not. Who is that? You guys, part of being patient is looking to the Lord so that we don't grow weary. So that we don't quit. So that we don't give up. Galatians 6, 9 is one of my favorite verses. I'm going to read the 8 and 9 right now. Galatians 6, 8 and 9 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. You guys, I can't tell you how common it is for people to lose the harvest because they grow weary and refuse to do one more good act. How many people lose the harvest because they grow weary and they quit just shy of what God had? It is common. To quit is common. Anyone can quit. To endure. To endure is valiant. To endure is courageous. The second point we're going to come to is strengthen your heart. Find courage. Take courage for your heart. Quitting is easy. 
Fighting is hard. Enduring is hard. Getting up one more time is hard. Being faithful and faithful and faithful can be difficult. None of us are exempt from the threat of losing hope. None of us are exempt from growing weary. None of us are exempt from being faced with with frustration or grumbling or quitting. I'm not exempt. I haven't reached a level of spiritual maturity that I'm exempt from that. Just being honest with you, man, there's times it's, it is tough when I know God has given me an anointed word for his church and I show up and one third of the church is here. That kills me. I get past it from the time that worship is over when I'm just singing about Jesus to the time I stand up here and I'm like, Lord, I'll preach to these three. I'm going to preach to you three and them also. No one's exempt. All right. A little word with my youth pastor there for a second. Don't quit. Don't give up. The enemy wants nothing more than for us to stop short of the promise of God. Nothing more. He wants nothing more than for us to quit. There's a harvest coming. There's a harvest coming to Impact Rock. There's a harvest coming to our children's ministry. There's a harvest coming to our teens, who are, by the way, next uh, on the 23rd, right? So the 23rd, they're heading out to Los Angeles for a youth conference, Rise Up Youth Conference. It's going to be awesome. God, there's a harvest coming. There's a harvest coming in our marriages. There's a harvest coming with our children. There's a harvest coming in our community. There's a harvest coming if we will persevere. If we will press on. If we will not give up. People give up on God every day and they quit. People give up on their marriages every day and they quit. You know that giving up on marriages is rarely about the marriage. It's the enemy's way to destroy the future of that family. It's the enemy's way to destroy children and to destroy heritage. It's rarely about the man and the wife. It's about trying to, to be a baby killer. And that's what Satan is. He's a coward. He's always been a baby killer. People give up on their lives and quit every day. Why? Because it's hard. Because waiting for the fruit is hard. And when we quit, we lose the hope and the prospect of God's amazing blessing through the harvest. So, Galatians 6, 9. So let's not grow weary in doing good. At just the right time. At just the right time. Friends, either we trust God for it's just the right time or we don't. And that's not just the right time for us. It's not just the right time for us. At just the right time. 
if we endure, we will see harvest. We will reap. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. Say that. Precious produce of the soil. Is there another P is there another P word we can use for soil so we can really have some alliteration going? Precious produce of the anybody? Kind of the thosaurus. Potting soil, sure. Okay. I don't know. The farmer waits. Waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it. So I just want I want to personalize this. What is the precious produce of your soil that you are waiting on? What is it you're believing for? Parents, what are you believing for for your kids? Businessmen, what are you believing for for your jobs? Businesswomen, what are you believing for for that startup? What are you believing for, husbands and wives, for your marriage? Ministers, what are you believing for in your ministry? What are you believing for, you know, for your team? What's the precious produce of the soil that you are waiting on and you've got to keep waiting on unless you just want to forfeit the blessing? Wait. Wait. Raising kids is not easy. Running a business is not easy. Working hard for someone else's business is not easy. Looking for a new job is not easy. Sometimes marriage is not easy. Planting the church is not easy. Raising a team is not easy. You guys, we've heard it before in different words, but we've got to know, you know, there's, there's pay and there's play. There's a time to play, but there's a time to pay. And nothing worth having comes easy. I don't know of anyone who won the lottery. I know they exist because I see them on TV. But I just don't know of anyone that's won more than 50 bucks. Nothing that's worth having comes easy. There's a price that has to be paid. And you know what? Sometimes being a Christian is not easy. Sometimes following Jesus and trusting Him with our lives is not easy. But we do it for precious reasons. We do it for precious reasons. Hope is so precious. The things that we're hoping for God to do. If you are a parent and you've been praying for the salvation of your son, your daughter, for 20, 30, 40 50 years. The hope of that son or daughter giving their life to Christ is no less precious now than it was when you pray, first prayed that prayer. The loved ones we're believing for. The fruit that we want to see forth in our homes and our families and in this church is precious. A friend of mine grew up in a farm in Crook, Colorado. And his dad still plants wheat on 2,500 acres every year. And I called him. And I asked him about farming. I wanted to get some insight. He's a farmer, so I asked him. With all the modern equipment that we have today, and assuming the weather cooperates, anyone want to take a guess at how long it takes to harvest the wheat 
on those 2,500 acres? Anyone want to throw out a guess? What's that? Five days, close, a little higher. Anyone else? Higher than five. Lower than 7,000. Six. <laughs> I like it. But this is Price is Right rules, right? We're doing Price is Right rules. We don't want the guy to fall over the cliff, the little yodeler dude. Ten days. Ten days with all the modern equipment. And if weather cooperates, ten days. That is 2.7% of the year spent on the harvest. Isn't that tiny? 2.7% of a farmer's life is spent on the harvest. Man, we should all be farmers. That job sounds like a breeze. Imagine how much rest we could have while we're waiting. That's amazing. I mean, I know the other work needs to be done. I mean, I know that there's planting and there's like uh, raking maybe. Um, and, and, you know, there's different things. And you've got to dress the scarecrows and all the latest farm and bashing, you know, accessories. But man, after that, we could start like four or five businesses and all that waiting time while we're doing nothing but waiting for the harvest, right? How ignorant is that statement? Not the part about dressing the scarecrows. That's valid. It has to be done. It's a task. But the part about farmers having days off. There's work to be done while, while they're waiting for the harvest. What does a farmer do during that waiting season? So these are some of the answers I got. Deciding and defining what the harvest will be. Plowing. Create an environment where the seed can be nurtured. That requires fertilizing, irrigating, improving the seed. I don't know what improving the seed is, but... Sowing faithfully. You can't harvest what you don't plant. Weeding carefully, removing the obstacles to fruitfulness without damaging the harvest itself. Then maintaining, taking care of equipment, finding buyers, and other types of administration. A farmer's harvest is determined by what they do while they're waiting. Farmer's harvest is determined by what they do while they're waiting. Your harvest is determined by what you do while you're waiting. My harvest is determined by what I do while I'm waiting. Isaiah 40 31 says this Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You know how like if, if you grew up in church, you hear certain scriptures and certain wording. Anyone else here remember this wording? They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. The correct translation of this is they will gain new strength. It's not some sort of recycled strength we get. It is new strength to the point where there's a mounting up with wings like eagles. Whether you feel like you can run and and not get weary, you can walk and not faint. But it requires waiting. That word waiting is translated as to wait, to look for, to expect, to hope. This one's interesting. To collect or bind together. To collect or bind together. 
Those who hope upon the Lord look and expect the Lord to come. Those who hope and are waiting upon the Lord, they collect and bind together in anticipation of Him coming. If I need a ride at the airport, and one of you guys is so nice to give me a ride at the airport, and you say, okay, I'm, you know, I've left the house, and I'll be there in five minutes. And so I'm waiting for you. Maybe it's ten minutes. I'm waiting for you. What is it, as that person who's so kind enough to give me a ride, what is it you expect from me while I'm waiting? Be ready. Uh, oh, snap, Brad. Thanks for coming to pick me up. Um, I got a shower. And then shave and then get dressed. Oh, man, I haven't packed. I'm going to pack. I'm going to pack. And then while you're here, could you could you help me pack? And could you carry my bags to the car? If while, while I'm waiting, I'm expecting. So my bags are ready. I'm by the door. I'm looking out the window. My son has a has a internship slash little job he has this summer, and he's expected to wait for Wilco to come pick him up. He is looking out the window, and when he sees that van come, Jordan has to be outside with his lunch packed, with his water bottle ready. He's got to be ready. That is waiting. And those who do so will gain new strength. How many of us need to gain something that's new? and that's strong, and that defies our expectation, especially in the area of our strength and our hope and our endurance. Waiting is not some passive sitting around doing nothing. Waiting is an active working, ex- working, the southern in me, working, working expectation from God. Here's the best example of waiting to me. The right kind of waiting is demonstrated in a movie montage. In every movie montage. Rocky and Clubber Lang have the press conference and they go at each other and it's like, I'm going to kill you, fool! Rocky's like, I'm going to kill you! In two months! I'm going to kill you in two months! The fight's in two months! Then the montage starts, right? Rocky's carrying wood and he's chopping wood, and he's running through snow, and I know that's a different Rocky. I know Clever Lang wasn't in the one with the Russian. I know, but that's, you know, I get it. I get it, okay? He's running on the beach. He's running with Apollo's former trainer, okay? So, that the montage. I'm going to earn her love. I'm going to earn her back. She's the love of my life. I want to earn her back. Cue montage. Cue Kenny Loggins. Boom! The montage. That is waiting. You're doing stuff while you're waiting. There's, there's activity, there's expectation. That is our waiting before the Lord. Friends, it's not this entitled sitting around waiting for the king to give what he owes us. But so many times as a church, that's the way we treat it. Like he's the king and he owes us this. Oh my gosh, friends. If that's our perspective, then we are pampered and spoiled He is the king. Our waiting is meant to be full of faith. And friends, it has to be full of faith because waiting is not easy. I said that James has encouraged us to three actions. Be patient and strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts was number two. 
Do not grumble against one another. What's number three? The truth is this. It is impossible to fulfill this scriptural action of waiting without the scriptural action of strengthening our hearts. Because waiting is hard. Our hearts have to be strengthened for that. We have to constantly remind ourselves that He is good and only good. And that He is faithful and only faithful. Strengthen your hearts. Do you know that that's actually what waiting is for? That's what waiting is for. And so we have time to strengthen our hearts because the harvest is hard work. Even if it is only 2.7% of a farmer's life, it is still work. And while we're waiting, we're strengthening our hearts. We're preparing ourselves for God's goodness. The harvest is never brought in by the passive. It is brought in by the strong of heart, by the courageous of heart. Those who have grabbed a hold of courage and thrown it into their heart and said, I will stand on the word of God because I believe he is true. You guys will never see freedom or will never see harvest without a strong heart. And how do we do that? How do we strengthen our hearts? This church is connected to an organization uh, called NCMI, New Covenant Ministries International. And we are not stronger as a church because we're connected to NCMI, an organization. We are strong as a church because we are connected to Restoration LA Church in East Los Angeles, California, and with Jody and Vanessa Romero and their kids and Steve and Jessica Martell and and uh, Ken Furlong and his wife Anita. That's why we're strong, because of that relationship. We're, we're not strong because of four letters. We're strong because we're connected to restoration, uh, to Redemption City Church in Westminster and to Tyron and Nicole Daniel and to their kids and to Jackie and Jason Kingery and their kids and to Terry and Sandy Kruger and their kids. To... Dave and Ashley Freeman. That's why we're strong through relationship. You guys, religion doesn't make people stronger. No one is stronger and courageous because of religion. They are strong and courageous because of relationship with the King, Jesus Christ. And there's a huge difference. We're strong because our King is represented by so many of us in this place, sitting beside us, but also not here in other other states, other countries, other cities. Relationship with God provides strength. Guys, if we're having a tough time waiting, and your heart needs to be strengthened, and it does, if you're having a tough time waiting, I'm letting you know right now, your heart needs to be strengthened. And that strengthening only comes through being in His presence. And it's so awesome because there's so many opportunities to be in His presence. In worship, we can be in His presence. Recently, I was just in need of being in His presence. And I went outside with my Bible and 
I had my iPad and and I was going to spend time in the Psalms. And the Lord's like, no, just worship me. So I played this album and just worshiped him. Played it through twice. Worship doesn't just have to be done up here, you know, at, at the leading of, of musicians and, and vocalists and psalmists. The Word of God. You can be strengthened by hearing the Word of God from a man or a woman standing up here bringing the Word of God. But friends, you can also be strengthened by opening up that Bible and saying, Daddy, what do you think about me? Make your word come alive to me. What do you think about me? And he makes his word come alive. That's all I I do every week, guys. Father, what do you have to say to your church? Make your word come alive. And he does. And that's that's what I share. James 5, 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets to the early and late rains. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Be patient. Endure with difficulties without blaming yourself or blaming others. Endure. Endure your injuries and your hurts and your wounds without taking revenge. And wait for God. We're supposed to let our our patience be lengthened out to long-suffering. It's a fruit of the Spirit. I came across, across this definition, and I think it's awesome. The definition of godly patience. Godly patience is a humble acceptance in the wisdom and will of God. It will probably have reluctance, but it should never have defiant protest. It's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to have our confidence shaken. It's okay to be weak. But even in the midst of those things, there has to be a humble acceptance in God's wisdom and in His will. There has to be trust. A response of defiant protest is neither faithful nor fruitful. It'll never bring the harvest in. When we have done our work, we need patience to wait in order to then finally bring the harvest in. Establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Let your faith be firm without wavering. Once again, guys, that doesn't come through religion. It only comes through relationship. It doesn't come through an obligatory showing up at church once a week, you know, because we're so bad and we just need to pay our penance. No. No strength comes from that. It comes through relationship. From running to the Lord, running to the Lord, anytime we can, anytime we're in need, or anytime we're in joy, Dad, I can't wait to share this with you. Dad, I have to come to you. Grudge not against one another, brethren. Friends, we're to love one another. We're to hold our tongues of judgment and criticism and blame, and we're to love one another. And that's that's where we'll pick up next week. Waiting 
is usually hard. But think of the montage example. There is work to be done in the midst of the waiting. That guy who's trying to win the heart of his one true love, he's doing stuff. He's making origami butterflies and hanging them all over her art studio or whatever. The fighter, he's doing something. He's training. He's working. He's preparing. He's falling. He's getting up. He's getting chewed out by the over, the overly aggressive trainer. But then he learns his lesson, gets back in the fight, and keeps running. There's work to be done. And there's, there's stumbling, and there's success, and there's strength. But the bottom line is, if we want to bring in the harvest, there has to be waiting. There is no harvest without waiting. 